Amen. Please go ahead and have a seat. <clears throat> Let's pray together. Father, we love you. And God, we thank you for the fact that you are in this place with us. God, that you are with us across internet connections, in living rooms, coffee shops, and in this very place, and that by your Holy Spirit, we are united together as a family of faith. Father, we worship you. We thank you for this, this day, this opportunity to celebrate the first Noel, to see that spirit carried out, lived out every day. Father, we pray this prayer in the name of Jesus, the one who makes it all possible. And everybody said, amen. amen, amen. Great to see. What a day to be alive in Austin, Texas. Is this a great day or is this a great day? My goodness. And what a phenomenal song. I love the first Noel. Ever since I was a little kid, there's something about that song that I think takes you to that night, takes you to that moment when Christ was born. I remember when I got a little bit older, I found out that Noel is actually a French word. I'd, I'd been singing it my whole life. I had no idea that I was so cultured. And uh, that it means Christmas or the Christmas season in French. And I thought, that's, that's even cooler. My last name is Richard, Richard from France by way of Louisiana. I, I felt a connection to the first Noel. And then I did a little bit more research and I realized that it's not a French song at all. It was actually written in England, in England in 1822, in Cornwall, to be precise. And that this song, though it captures the moment, and I think it, it takes all of us to a very, very special, special place emotionally and spiritually, that it is so captivating, it's so fascinating, and it is also largely completely fabricated. Think about it for just a second. Of course, there were shepherds out in the fields outside of Bethlehem. We know this from Luke chapter 2. That's, that's biblical. That, that's solid truth that we can rely on. But, but follow me and see if there's not like a lot of poetic license that is taken in the first Noel that, that separates this celebration of the nativity from the actual reality of the nativity. For, for example... We know that shepherds in this part of the world almost assuredly were not out in the fields keeping watch over their flocks by night in the dead of winter. In the middle of December is not when shepherds go out with their flocks in Bethlehem. As a matter of fact, Bethlehem, it lies on a line of latitude just one degree north of where we are right now here in Austin, Texas. So their winters are largely the same as ours. They can get cold, they can get damp, they can get wet, kind of like this morning. So shepherds are smart people. They don't hang out outside with their flocks when it's really, really cold. Also, the exact date of Jesus's birth is all but impossible to pinpoint. It's, it's almost impossible, but we can know pretty confidently that it was not December the 25th. December the 25th became the celebration of Jesus' birth some 300 years after it happened, after Constantine had made Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire. Now, I want you to just think about that for a second. What if somebody just said, the new religion is Christianity, go? You, you might imagine there would be some hiccups along the way, but they adopted December the 25th as the date, but the best way that you could 
come close to dating the birth of Jesus would be to use the clues that we have from the birth of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the son of Zechariah and Elizabeth. We know that an angel appeared to Zechariah when he was serving in the temple in a particular month of the year. You date that nine months forward, and then six months after John the Baptist was born, Jesus was born. So you get a time for Jesus' birth, probably, but not definitely, around September or early fall. So there's a lot of poetic license, but I still think the first Noel is an incredible incredible song in the canon of Christmas carols. These lyrics are amazing. The first Noel, the angels did say, was to certain poor shepherds in fields as they lay, in fields where they lay keeping their sheep on a cold winter's night that was so deep. Noel, 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 born is the king of Israel. Noel, that the arrival of Jesus has happened. Now, the date of Jesus' birth, you, we can kind of take some guesses at it and look at some of the scriptural clues that are given to us. But as much as we don't know about the exact date, we do know about the timing. And the timing of Jesus' birth was absolutely perfect. If you look at the narrative of human history, God entered into the story at exactly the right moment in time, historically, spiritually. In the book of Galatians, the apostle Paul, writing to the church at Galatia, is explaining what this really means. Look at what he says there in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. The Bible says, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. That Jesus came to the earth in the exact right moment in human history. This translation says, when the time was right. Earlier translations say something like that Jesus came in the fullness of time, that when the time was right, that, that it was time God entered the human condition in flesh and blood. He became one of us. He became with us, Emmanuel, so that we could be restored into the relationship with him for which every single one of us is created. That, that relationship that was ruptured by sin, repaired by his son. An amazing, amazing moment that I think the first Noel captures, whether it was cold or not. We know that this is exactly what happened. I also think that the first Noel helps us because it points us to the shepherds. I wanna give you a little, a little homework challenge, if you will. I would challenge you to go through the narrative of the Christmas story, the nativity, Luke chapter two, Matthew chapter one and two. Look at the story of the birth of Christ and find anyone who handled it or responded to it better than the shepherds. It was the shepherds, I believe, who actually set the standard for how we respond to Christmas, not only at this time of year, but every single day of the year. The Bible tells us that the shepherds set this standard in how they responded to their encounter. First of all, with the angels who gave that 
heavenly birth announcement on the, in the fields outside of Bethlehem, but also how they responded after they had encountered Christ personally. If you've got your Bibles, look at Luke chapter number two. Luke chapter two, the Bible tells us how the shepherds responded. It shows us how they set the standard. Luke chapter two, verses 16 through 20, it says, they hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. And all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. Verse 20, the shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. It's fascinating because the shepherds, of all of the people who encountered Christ around the time of his birth, the shepherds were probably the least educated of everyone. There, there were temple servants that encountered Jesus on the eighth day when Mary and Joseph took him to be circumcised. There was, of course, the Magi who came from the East. These were scholars from the East who came to worship Jesus. But it was the shepherds, the least educated amongst everyone, who set the standard. They, they provided the most mature, the most, the most ought-to-be-emulated and replicated response to their encounter with the Christ. You know, think about, think about your family around Christmas. Think, think about if, if let, let's just say that hypothetically we were going to gather with everybody that we normally gather with this year. And from the oldest to the youngest, think about those people, how they respond to Christmas. And I'm talking about just the, the superficial Christmas of, of gifts and presents under the tree. When our kids are first born, they don't really clue into what's going on at first. As a matter of fact, I remember when Emily was a small child, we had put out some decorations for Christmas. And when I say we had put out decorations, I mean Julie put out decorations for Christmas. And one of the decorations was a little Santa that stood by our fireplace. And when Emily was two years old, Joseph had just been born. And Julie had set out the decorations one night while Emily was asleep, and when she toddled into the living room the next morning and saw Santa there by the fireplace, she looked at Santa and she said, no. And Julie goes, oh, Emily, that's Santa. That's okay. And she goes, no, he cannot take my brother. Now, in subsequent years, she wanted him to, but at that moment... She was afraid that Santa was going to come into our house and steal baby Joseph. She didn't really quite get it. But then they, they grow up and they mature a little bit and they start to remember, you know, last year about this time when there were, there were trees and lights and decorations, I got some stuff. So, hey, there could be a pattern developing here. And then they get a little bit older and they start counting down about September to December. And now they can go into Amazon and compile a list so that Santa knows exactly what to put on the sleigh for them. It's amazing how it progresses. But I noticed a huge tectonic shift in my own experience of Christmas when we had kids. When we had kids, I immediately shifted from focusing on what I was getting for Christmas to what we were giving for Christmas. 
That was when I noticed I started getting excited about Christmas because I was looking at Christmas through the eyes of my kids. I was thinking about what they would look like, what their faces would do, what they would say when they woke up on Christmas morning and made their way into the living room where Santa had been down the chimney and they would find these things. I started getting more excited about Christmas for that reason than I had ever been getting or receiving gifts. Now, let me quickly say, I'm not being hyper-spiritual. I still love to get a gift. Does anybody in here not like to get a gift? Can I just see a show of hands? Anybody here like to get a gift? We all do. But you know what? I have never seen grandparents go to the tree and start shaking presents to see what's in it. I've never seen that. I've seen a ton of kids. Now, if you look at the response to Christmas morning along this continuum, who has the most mature response to Christmas? It is the ones who focus on what they're giving more than what they are receiving. Nothing wrong with receiving. There's nothing wrong. I'm not saying that at all. But when you mature, when you grow up, when you start to feed into other people's lives, you start thinking much, much more about what you're giving than what you're getting. This is the standard that the shepherds set. That this is what they did. Look at what the Bible says. Go back to Luke chapter 2. Let's pull it back up on the, on the screen here. Verse 16, Luke chapter 2. They hurried to the village. Verse 17. The shepherds told everyone. All who heard were astonished. Mary kept these things in her heart. Verse 20. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God. They hurried to the village. They told everyone and they worshiped. They hurried, they told, and they worshiped. They hurried, they told, and they worshiped. They hurried. God lit something inside of them that was an inextinguishable sense of urgency. They did not just kind of sit back on their haunches. Well, Christmas happened. We got through it. No, no, no. They hurried. They had a sense of urgency about them. If we have learned anything in 2020, if we have learned anything this year, we have all learned together that we don't control time. We don't control time. We don't. Man, I remember, remember when, when the lockdown first happened back in March six years ago? I remember thinking, what am I supposed to do at home all day long. And then, then scary enough, I got used to it. When they lifted the lockdown, I was like, I got to go back. I was like, I, I was enjoying it. We were still working very, we were working hard. I, we have never as a church worked harder than we did during Corona 2020, back when that was a thing. I'm just kidding. My point is this, we don't control time. The Bible says that Jesus will return like a thief in the night, unexpectedly. We have to be ready. We have to live our lives as followers of Christ with a sense of urgency. We don't know how long we have. And it's amazing that the older we get, the more aware of this reality we become. You know, when you're young, I'm going to live forever. <laughs> Old people die. That's not... 
The fact of the matter is, no one, say no one. No No one is guaranteed the next breath. No one. Okay, everybody do this with me for just a second. Just, Just go with it, okay? Everybody do this. Kind of take a deep breath and hold it. Now let it out through your nose. I say that so that you don't breathe coffee on the person in front of you. Just let it out. Now, turn to your neighbor and look at him with a smile on your face and say, congratulations. You just got another breath you didn't deserve. You, you got another breath you didn't deserve. Do you understand the sense of urgency that Christ followers ought to live with? What did the shepherds do? They hurried to the village. They, they didn't just kind of go, well, I don't know. It's really cool. I, I don't know. Oh, it's raining. It's foggy. They hurried to the village. Another reason that we think Jesus was probably not born in December is we know that Mary and Joseph were in Bethlehem for a census that Rome had commissioned. And Rome wanted to know how many citizens they had. That was how they assessed taxes. That was how they got all that information. So they wanted everybody counted that could be counted. They wouldn't have asked people to travel to their ancestral homes in the dead of winter when it's cold and wet and rainy. Mary and Joseph had traveled about 70 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Mary at 8.9999 months pregnant. That probably didn't happen in December. But the shepherds demonstrated a sense of urgency. They, They got there, they hurried. When they heard the news that the son of God was being born in Bethlehem, that a savior for the world had arrived. They didn't wait. They had this this sense of urgency. They hurried. Second of all, tell, tell somebody that it's Christmas. Turn to your neighbor, your other neighbor, who's your second choice, and tell them like you really mean it. Tell somebody. Online, I hope that you did a much better job than everybody who's here in the room. (laughs) Tell them again like you mean it. Tell somebody. Tell somebody. somebody. Now, if you've never shared your faith with someone, I get it. That's why we do something around here called tag team evangelism. Evangelism is a great word. It just means telling good news. Telling good news. Telling... If, if you go to a great restaurant, you tell everybody you can think of. You wouldn't believe. I went to this restaurant downtown. Greatest biscuits I've ever had in my life. It's called Fix, F-I-X-E. My point is you tell somebody good news. The shepherds, after they had encountered Christ, they told everybody they could get their hands on. They were like, you're not going to believe this. We are seven days away from our first Christmas service. Whether you're in the room or you're worshiping online with us, this is the greatest opportunity in the world for tag team evangelism. What I mean is this. If you invite someone, if you invite someone into the room or online, I promise you, they will encounter Jesus. We absolutely will tell the good news and give them the opportunity to experience this good news 
But this is what we do as the body of Christ. This isn't a Lake Hills Church only thing. This is the body of Christ thing. This is why we're still here. Because there are people that you know, people that I know, who don't yet know how extravagantly God loves them. We tell them. There's this, we we hurry because there's urgency. We tell them because we have this sense of agency. We We have this sense of agency that we are the agents of God in this world. The Bible says we're ambassadors. That's just another word for agent. Y'all know our good friends, David and Lisa Hughes. David has preached here many times. He's an incredible pastor in South Florida. His wife, Lisa, used to be a talent agent in South Beach, Miami. She was an incredible agent for actors and models, people looking for work. I didn't know that about Lisa until we had known them for a number of years, but I did know this about Lisa. I have never in my life been around a greater connector of people than Lisa Hughes. She is absolute magic with a smartphone. If she knows somebody who needs something, she knows somebody else who can supply that need. She connects people with no agenda like nobody I've ever seen in my life. Now, I've seen a lot of people who are, who are name droppers and climbers. I'm not talking about that. Lisa connects people for no gain personally. She's just a, she's a connector. I think that's why she was such a great agent. Her, her job as an agent was to get her clients in front of as many people as they could. That was what she did for a living. That's your job and my job as followers of Christ, is to get Christ in front of as many people as we possibly can. You are an agent for Christ. Now, let me ask you to think about something. What if Lisa Hughes was a jerk? What what if she was a pain to work with and was always in it for herself, always trying to make money for herself and and, and just, just, just a horrible person? People be like, I don't care who she represents. I ain't hiring them. Our lives have to represent our client, Christ, accurately and appropriately. That's that's our sense of agency. We we are here to connect people with Christ, to show them the life that is truly life, to show them the hope and the joy, the thrill of hope that is in Christ and nothing and no one else. That's why we're here. So I want to ask you right now, to begin praying about, thinking about, who are you introducing to Christ? Who are you inviting to Christmas services at Lake Hills Church? Who are you sharing the good news with, like the shepherds did, the standard of the shepherds? They hurried, they told, there was this urgency, there was this agency. But don't miss that last part either, they worshiped. As they went back to their flocks, praising God and glorifying him. Yes, we hurry. Yes, we tell. And we worship. We lift him up. There's nothing like it when the people of God worship God, when we lift him up. I love what Derek said earlier in our service, that we we praise him for who he is. We thank him for what he does, but we praise him for who he is. And isn't it interesting that The Bible says, as they went back to their flocks, 
They, they, didn't, they didn't like abandon their flocks and move to Uganda. They, they just went back to their day-to-day worshiping and glorifying God. Everything that they did was about worship. There was, there was urgency, there was agency, but there was a newfound reverence for God. They had encountered Christ personally. And so they were worshiping him and lifting him up in everything that they did. In everything that they did. Now, I I don't know where you are this morning. I, I don't know. Some of us, my guess, some of us are stressed about Christmas. How many of us have completed our shopping for Christmas? Can I just see a show of hands? If you are done shopping, show-offs. And we, we honor that. that. That's great. Good for you. That's great. How many of you have not, how, I'm sorry, how many of us have not started? It's okay. This is church. We're family, man. Get that hand up. That's all right. There's no shame in that game. I want to encourage wherever you are this morning, I want to encourage you to follow the standard set by the shepherds. To to engage in that, that urgency. Hurry. You know people. You have a sphere of influence that God has supernaturally determined that you should have. There are people that you know that none of us will ever know who don't yet know how extravagantly God loves them. What what Jesus did for them in the incarnation did. Yes, he was born as a human, flesh and blood. But that he also lived a sinless life and he died on a cross for your friends, for my friends, by name. For you, by name. For me, by name. Taking on our sin, our shame. And being buried. But on the third day that he did what we couldn't have done for ourselves and he rose from the grave with the promise of new life for anyone who would follow him. I wonder this morning, who do you know who doesn't yet know? That that ought to stir some urgency in you. It ought to really stir up some agency. Say, God's put me in her life, in his life, to point them to Christ. It's it's fine if you tell them about a good restaurant. That's cool. But we're talking about life and death forever. That's urgent. That's important. Will you bow your heads with me for just a moment? In this moment, I want to invite everyone to pray. No matter where you are, no matter what's going on around you, I want to invite you to pray. God, show me who 
to show Christ to. Show me in this moment who you would have in my life have me show Christ to. Maybe to invite to a Christmas service. But at the very least to tell them the difference you've made in my life. I want to challenge you this week to pray for that person that God brings to your mind. Pray for those people that he brings to your mind this week. Pray for the courage, the urgency to be Christ's agent in their lives. Also, I know that some of us here, maybe in the room, maybe watching online, maybe you've never chosen to follow Christ. Maybe obviously I think you've probably heard about Jesus, but you may know some things about him, but you don't truly know him. We want to give you the opportunity to begin that relationship. To, to pray a prayer of beginning, a prayer of commitment to Him. If that's you this morning and God's leading you to it, then pray something like this, this prayer of beginning, this prayer of surrender. Just say silently from your heart to God, silently say, Jesus, I need you. And so I ask you to come into my life I believe that you are the Son of God. I choose to believe that you died on that cross for me and that you rose again for me. And so I confess my sin to you. I claim your forgiveness. And I will follow you from this moment forward. Jesus, be the Lord of my life. I pray this prayer in your name. I want to ask you just to remain with your heads bowed for another moment. Bowing our heads is just a, a sign of reverence. Because right now we're on holy ground. And if that was your prayer, and you meant it, I want to let you know that as a church, we are so excited for you. We so believe in what God wants to do in your life and through your life that we want to help with what comes next. In just a minute, we'll give you some, some ways to kind of start that process. But I want to just ask you right now, if that was your prayer, would you just raise your hand? Just raise your hand and hold it up high over your head for a second. Your hand in the air just is a physical statement of the spiritual commitment that you just made. And as a church, as a family of faith, we, we celebrate that with you. And our family tradition is that you can 
put your hands down, but we're going to put our hands together and tell you welcome home. Welcome home.